Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Lee Cantor with Stone Payton, another episode of ATDC Radio. Stone. Hey, this has been a lot of fun, man. I think a lot we of are, smart uh, people. We are hitting full stride. A lot of IQ points in the room. Uh, a lot of IQ points on this entire floor, but we have made some uh, new friends, caught up with some old ones, and have had some really, uh, I think, inspiring, informative conversations, and uh, I have every reason to believe this is going to be no exception. First up on this episode of ATDC Radio, please join me in welcoming to the broadcast with Florence, Mr. Blake Adams. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. Good to see you guys today. Well, Blake, um, before the show, you mentioned that you're a recent graduate of the Signature Program, so you went through the whole uh, gamut of ATDC? We did. It's been a wonderful ride here at ATDC. Uh, you know, things have been great, meeting a lot of great people, a lot of great mentorships for us, uh, and we are, yeah, officially graduating and moving out here in a couple months, finalizing our new space over at the Bank of America building, so we'll be moving in there in about November. And your company is called Florence. Florence, yes, sir. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you do. How do you serve folks? Yeah, so we are a software company that builds software for clinical trials and clinical research, connecting sites, research sites such as a large hospital, integrated health system, academic medical center, uh, back to CROs, which are clinical research organizations that manage trials uh, across the board at multiple sites, hundreds of sites, and then back up to the pharmaceutical companies as well. Uh, so large pharma, med device companies, and we build software that facilitates workflows, document management, task management, et cetera, between those organizations. So, so what are some of the challenges that they were having where Florence was the solution? Definitely. So at the site level, which is where we started, we have around 3,500 sites right now that are using our tool to manage their uh, regulatory and source documentation. They are traditionally on paper, believe it or not. Uh, they are about 30 years behind the time, if not more, and they use paper documents to manage their regulatory files. So imagine walking in into a large um, room with, with hundreds and hundreds of binders that they're scanning and faxing and emailing paper documents around uh, between sponsors and CROs and various sites. Uh, they're flying people back and forth to these sites on a regular basis to check the files and, and make sure that everything is good in those files. So from a site level, we so are... they're actually flipping pages. They are actually flipping pages. So imagine wow. 10 years ago, a lot of medical centers went through digitizing medical records. So you're right. probably familiar with that. Uh, we're doing the same thing for clinical trials. Clinical trials is about 10 or 15 years behind even the medical record side of things at sites. So uh, Is so that part of the problem of why it takes so long to to get something through a clinical trial? It is. So we accelerate a uh, typical startup time by around 40%. So where the average is around 76 days for uh, a clinical trial to get off the ground at a site, we narrow that down to around 40 days, 35 to 40 days once they switch to an electronic solution. So that is a big part of it. And then what about from the results standpoint, as they get information about how the trial's going? Yeah, so we don't do a ton on the results side. We're on the front end of the study, typically regulatory, and then we're a repository for source data. But what we do do on the actual uh, life of the trial is remote monitoring and remote access. So typically what's happened is CROs or pharma companies, they fly people out once a month to each site, and that can be hundreds of sites across the country, where they fly a monitor there to actually view the files in person. They go into a little locked room. They're pulling files from various shelves, looking at them, making sure that they match what they're supposed to match in the EDC, uh, which is the um, electronic data capture platform. So they're making sure that what came into them electronically actually matches what they have uh, at the regulatory file source files. And so now what we're enabling is a 
remote monitoring. And so they're able to do that remotely, which we all are super familiar with, remote monitoring. Right. But it wasn't uh, a breakthrough. <laughs> it was not a breakthrough for us. <laughs> for the clinical trial industry, you would have thought we had invented a rocket ship uh, that flew them to Mars. And so we have really created this remote access, remote oversight capability, which reduces, obviously, travel-related costs to the speed of, of checking files and source files, et cetera, and remote closeout at the end of the study so they can bring all that together and send it straight back to the sponsor. So. So now, was this a disruption on how things were done? Like, did you kind of replace somebody that was doing it a certain way? Yeah, great question. So at the site level, it has been a disruptor uh, of paper-based products. So it's not been a replacement. Uh, it's a greenfield technology. There are some competitors that are coming into the space now with us, but it's been a greenfield technology. We're replacing either paper-based products or some sites who are maybe a little more advanced. We're using a mix of shared drives and hard drives and uh, network drives, et cetera, to manage it internally. And so we've replaced a lot of that at the site level. From a pharma level, it's a disruptor, uh, disrupting traditional platforms called ETMFs, which are electronic trial master files that large pharmaceutical companies use, Pfizer's, whoever, are using to manage their studies. And what we've came in and done is by building out our site network of around 3,500 sites that are using us to electronically manage those files, we have enabled those sponsors to not just have a file system that they're managing on their end, but to a be able to digitally connect to their sites. So we are disrupting that workflow and replacing traditional ETMFs. There's some large ones out there with this new approach. Uh, and, and like they say a million times, you know, disruptive technology comes in and we are not just trying to replace what was taking place on the paper side of things. So we're not just trying to take what was doing what was done in paper traditionally and make that a digital process. We're really trying to transform that full process and make it a, a totally new workflow using digital technology. So a totally digital workflow. Totally digital workflow, yeah. All right. So did you have a cousin somewhere that was just getting frustrated <coughs> with what was going on in the industry? Or did you stumble upon it? What was the genesis of the idea that said, hey, we got to do something about this? I wish I was that smart. No, uh, our founder, one of our co-founders is uh, Mike Casson, who is a doctor actually over at Emory. And a radiologist there and he saw the process in person and realized what a frustrating process it was to, to manage oh, these okay. things electronically or in the paper based format and stumbled you know across rooms at Emory that were full of binders and so he actually had the idea and uh, got it started at a startup weekend back in 2014 uh, and then just that's kind of like our, our one of these kind of make an app in 24 hour exactly yeah yeah, it was a startup wow. weekend. I don't remember the exact one. I wasn't there. But uh, he met some of our other co-founders, and they got together and spent 2014, 2015 hashing out the idea. And then, of course, we've been a part of the signature program here as well. So so now, um, how did it – so when they come up with the idea and they work on it over this weekend or, in, you know, kind of informally like that, how did it just start getting legs? He had a real job. So, like, was he spending – like how did he allocate his time towards this? Because at the beginning it was just an idea, right? Yeah, definitely. So our CEO, who's Ron Jones, uh, he actually stepped in as well at, early on in the process, and he had had an experience doing the same thing with another company uh, he was with before and helping that company grow from a very small idea to a to a larger company as well. And so he stepped in and helped them. They actually, Mike actually took a year off. Uh, it may have been a little over a year, over a year off of his work there at Emory uh, and started with this company. So he did that for around a year, year and a half, and then he stepped back into it recently and has since moved up to uh, Georgetown up in D.C. So yeah, they, they s took time off and really got started with it as well. So, And then when did you start getting traction? Like, did you have a big uh, 
company say, okay, let's try this in a pilot or how did the, how did the beginning stages go? Yeah, definitely. So uh, around 20, let's see, beginning of 2016, I guess, we started to see some uptick in it. Most of the sites we would go to in 2016 and before that, the response was, hey, this is definitely not something we're not getting out of paper ever. That is not going to happen uh, at all. Even though everything <laughs> was getting out of paper except them, yeah. they thought they were going to be the last man standing. They thought paper was going to be, <laughs> yes, they were going to maintain paper files until you know the, the end of clinical trials when everything is cured and solved and ready to go. Uh, and so we really weren't getting any traction there at the beginning. And it took some pilot groups to come in and say, yeah, we want to test this out. We want to try this. And now fast forward two years, uh, you know, the amount of remote monitoring is one of the measures we look at in our platform. Since January of this year, we've seen a 10x increase in the amount of monthly usage from a remote monitoring perspective just this year, uh, which signifies the adoption of this platform in the industry. So it's hit a tipping point? It's a huge tipping point. Yeah, we've definitely kind of crossed into that early market past the early market phase of the, of the curb where um, now we are hearing when we're at trade shows and we're at uh, sites presenting this information, et cetera, the conversation is no longer, Hey, that's cool, but I don't think we're going to get out of paper now. It's okay. We know that this is something we have to do. We're hearing right. it everywhere we go and we just got to figure out, can we make that happen right now? So now are you the only game in town or are there competitors now in the space? We're the only game in Atlanta. No, <laughs> there are other competitors <laughs> who have stepped in with us, uh, one of which was right there with us right at the beginning, and then some others who have came up over the last two or three years as they've seen this market kind of expand and grow, which for us is a good thing because you always want competitors in the space. I'm sure you know the others here can share that where it validates what we're doing, and it's not just a, there's a one guy trying to make it happen. There's other competitors in the space. So for us, it helps from an education standpoint. They're at conferences speaking where we can't be and our resources are limited, and so we're really educating and nurturing well, the market Well, no, together. that's an important point because I, I don't know that a lot of uh, first-time entrepreneurs necessarily recognize this but to not have a competitor in this space is a, at least a yellow flag right mm -hmm. is that true yeah absolutely if it's just you doing it that <laughs> it may not be a big market for you to try to tackle so <laughs> right so now how do you differentiate yourself now amongst your competitors? Yeah, so we're the only one doing what we do specifically, which is focusing on connecting the full uh, ecosystem sponsor to site. Our primary competitors, uh, for the most part, are concentrated just on the site or just on the sponsor. So they're building digital tools for the site or they're building digital tool for the sponsor. So we're really more focused on that being a conduit between the two and a pipeline between the two. So, And then where do the pharmaceutical firms step into this? Yeah, so they are the one sponsoring clinical trials. So they're typically what happens is on their end, they have an electronic system. They build out this nice, beautiful structure there where all their files are going to live for the life of the study as well as 10 years or more after the study. Excuse me. And what happens is, is that pharma then, especially in the last two years, they print out all those papers put them in a big box and send them to the site where the site then fills out all that information and either faxes it back, emails it back, or FedEx is a, an overnight box back to the sponsor where the sponsor then takes, scans all that information and puts it back into their system electronically. And so we've essentially made it where when that sponsor builds out their uh, clinical trial workflow or clinical trial documentation or binder electronically, it publishes automatically to the sites. So the sites then work electronically, fill in all that stuff for the sponsor. But the sponsor does quality time? control In real time. Yeah, absolutely. Right, so remote oversight and real time remote access, which there's a lot of new, I won't dive into it too deeply because I know there's probably not a lot of clinical trial folks on the podcast, but there's a lot of new um, uh, people who are focused, or the FDA is now focused on this industry as well. So there's a lot of new regulatory burdens that sponsors are facing and in, in having more real-time access and real-time remote oversight of their sites. So, 
And then, so what do you need more of right now? Now that you moved, you're moving out of ATDC, you're moving into a larger space, I would imagine? Yeah. What we need more of is is rooms that we can make phone calls in that everybody else is not being loud <laughs> in the small office next door. <laughs> no. um, you know, for us, it is figuring out the, the pharma space a little stronger and really looking for sales team members and marketing marketing team as well that's helping us really concentrate on that space. Um, so from a perspective, uh, we're looking at that. So how so. do you get clients right now? Yeah. So marketing and sales. But uh, as we're beginning to move into this pharma space, especially sites, for the most part, uh, because it is a greenfield technology, it's not a hard sell where we're having to compete all the time, but it's more of an educational sell where it's a nurturing them, helping them understand why the value is there. From a pharma perspective, as we try to dive into that space harder, it's a very crowded market <laughs> where there's a lot of people competing for the market or for the pharma dollars. And so it's just going to take more uh, resources behind us to really push into that market heavily. So, And then the way you get in now is you educate them and they get th some white paper thought leadership and then they eventually have a call with you. Yeah, from a site perspective, absolutely. So we see most of our leads come in, uh, you know, 50% inbound. So people who are coming in because they've Googled something loosely related to us because it's mm -hmm. Greenfield, they're not Googling, I need a tool like any regulatory mm -hmm. system. They are Googling uh, something completely off of what Tangentially we do. Tangential. <laughs> but if we can answer their question, then we do that. Uh, and then we do a lot of industry shows as well from a site perspective. Uh, from a sponsor perspective, it's really unique in that because we have 3,500 sites now and that's growing uh, that are using our product, sponsors are starting to encounter it. Uh, so they're remotely accessing those sites via our tool now. And we're seeing a lot of uptick. You know, certain sponsors, 50% of their remote monitoring visits now happen within Florence eBinders. And so they're starting to really see uh, our product out there in the market place, which is helping us gain a lot of traction. There. And then you do trade shows and conferences? We do as well on the sponsor side. Yeah, we do several of those a year. So, so you exhibit or you do speaking? Both. both. Yeah, both. So we, we try to exhibit at a good number of them, but we're also trying to get more in a thought leadership perspective. So we're helping to, uh, A, speak at a lot of events. But we're also helping to plan out uh, the actual technology tracks at a lot of these conferences. So one of the big conferences we go to is ACRP, the Association of Clinical Research Professionals, and they are introducing next year a technology track at their conference. And so we're helping to plan that track uh, from a vendor perspective, but also coming in vendor neutral and just saying, hey, we want to help educate your 3,000 people on how technology is going to impact clinical trials. And so we want to help build out that track at your conference next year. And your customer pool, there's not a lot of them in number, but they're very, you know who they are. We know who they are. Yeah. They're, uh, you know, there's a ton of research sites out there that are running two or three studies a year, which is, which is great, but there's a select and we do stuff with them, but there's a select few who are running the 500, 600, 800 studies a year, which are really where we're focused a lot of our energy on right now. So so now if a company wanted to learn more about Florence, what's the best way to get yeah, a hold of you? Definitely. Our website, FlorenceHC.com, uh, is, a, is a great way to do it, and that goes over all of our products. Uh, obviously, they can get in touch with me if they want to learn more uh, or any of our team. We're all happy to talk about it. And we've got a lot of product or uh, industry experts on our team as well. I'm not a clinical trial background <laughs> trained person, uh, but we've got a lot of subject matter experts on our team who were in clinical trials for a long time. So if someone looking more for clinical trial-specific stuff, we can always put them in touch with them as well. And then regarding ATDC, you had a good ride with them. They helped you? We did. We've been, you know, the winner of the Halloween costume competition for two, years, years. Uh, two out of three yeah. years. So we, we can't <gasps> complain there. Uh, and next step, you graduate. We, you <laughs> right. the dots there. we, we <laughs> made sure that we didn't move into our new building until November <laughs> so we could stay for the Halloween competition right. and, and win our costume again this year. So, 
So ATDC, though, provided a lot of resources. Uh, I'm sure uh, discount rent is yeah, good in this yeah. part of town. It did. And, you know, and it really helped for us. Uh, several of our team members, myself included, are Georgia Tech uh, people. So, you know, it was exciting to be back on campus. I've been off campus now over 10 years uh, since I graduated, and it was great to be able to come back on campus and, you know, see, even see yeah, how things how have changed, changed here, uh, you know, because man- I was in the management building, and we did not have any restaurants on the ground floor <laughs> of this building when <laughs> I was there. So, What about talent? Does it help you uh, get talent? It does, yeah. We've, uh, we've been to several of the... Uh, I guess they're job fairs, yeah, downstairs in the garage and a couple other places. And we did a virtual career fair as well through Georgia Tech recently. And all those have been really great for connecting us with talents. And then the other great thing for us as a startup young company is interns. So we're able to get a lot of great Georgia Tech interns, and they're able to walk across the street to us, and we don't have to try to get them here and, and move them around town. So that's been great too. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Yeah, thank you as well. Thank you for having me on today. And that's FlorenceHC.com for more information. That's it. Thank you. Good stuff. All right. Well, stay with us, if you will. We're going to visit with a couple more guests. All right. Next up on ATDC Radio this afternoon, we have with us, with Kobe Ton, Mr. Kevin Lee. Good afternoon, sir. How's it going? Good. What'd you learn in that last segment? That was great. Uh, <laughs> what's the key to winning the Halloween costume? You may want to give you a run for your money. I got a hot dog costume I think I could bring in and do something with. Any? I can't tell you. There's a lot of free cookies that come with winning okay. the competition, and my team would be very upset if All I right. stole that from them. So. Okay. All right, good. Um, you guys got the big digs here at ATDC today. You can see that. Man, yeah. if you guys want to come around the corner and see five guys in a phone, bo- phone booth, <laughs> this is, what it this looks is like. it. Yeah. So tell us about Cubaton. How are you serving folks? Yeah. So uh, it's a mobile app testing platform. So uh, the big problem that folks have as mobile apps become more critical to their business model is how do they work in the real world? So uh, what we call the mobile elite, you know, the Facebooks and the Ubers of the world, they've got the luxury of owning 40, 50,000 phones that kind of simulate all the phones that are in the world or even in the country. And they can run tests against those in, an, in a, a scale fashion and they can find out uh, what works and what doesn't work. Uh, most of us, though, in the real world can't afford something <laughs> can't like that. do that, yeah. Um, most of our clients where we get in touch with them, uh, we typically ask them how do they keep up with the phones that they do mobile testing on, and they show us Ziploc bags with phones and power cords and little Post-its with passwords on Is them. Is that true? Oh, completely. Yeah. They'll so do they have like half a dozen phones? Uh, no, it'll be up 100, 150 or so. 150 yeah. phones. Yeah. Well, you got a, a lot of organizations that uh, put a lot of video out there. So um, that's very complex of resolution size from tablets down to, right. to small phones. And then you have other organizations that are wanting to do things with Bluetooth. Now camera is becoming very important. And so testing all those variations requires two things. One, you got to own a ton of phones or have access to a ton of phones. The other is uh, you've either got to have a lot of people or you got to have some automation behind the scenes that can run tests against those. So we provide the, those two things. We provide a lot of phones including access to your phones, uh, and we provide the ability to automate those things at scale. So uh, anybody that uh, wants to be serious about um, the quality of their mobile app at scale, previously that was available only to folks that could spend a few hundred thousand dollars a year just on mobile testing. Just keeping up with the latest phone. Just, I mean, you think about think about uh, no, every, the operating system on your phone in the past year has probably changed pretty radically. Right. Uh, the hardware has probably changed pretty radically also. And then you've also got to support, you know, 
three past or four versions past, right? And you've got to prepare for what's coming next. So in the United States, if you said, I want to, uh, we can do a little quiz here in the phone booth. How many, how many phones do you think, if you say, I want to cover 80% of the U.S. market, how many phones do you think you'd need to test against to do 80% of the, the U.S. market? Uh, how many phone carriers or the no? Actual? Just the, the physical hardware. How many? How many physical phones? You say I want to. I want to make sure eighty like percent types. Of different types. So two hundred and twenty million people actively use a phone, a smartphone in the U.S. today, and you say I want to cover one hundred and sixty million. The others, let them. Let my app fail. How many phones do you think you need to test on? I I think I'd be surprised that people have older phones than I think. Yeah. Like my mother that has a right an iPhone six or something like that, um, yeah. You you would need to test on somewhere between 175 oh. and 200 phones. Most different types of phones. Different types of phones and operating Holy systems, right? Moly. So um, most organizations think they can test on probably 20 phones and it'll be fine. Um, but in the mobile app world, uh, it is pretty typical that 25 percent wow. of apps are abandoned on first use because people open up the app and they go, "This thing didn't render correctly, so it looks weird." or it crashes, or it's slow, or they like the app, and then they put it by their bedside table, and they wake up in the morning and go, oh, my battery's been drained by this stupid app. I'm going to get rid of that. And then 70% of apps are uh, deleted within 90 days. Half of those reasons, the one half is functionality, right? We just don't like it. It didn't work like we thought it was going to. The other half, though, is because it just didn't work correctly. So you've got a cost of acquisition that basically 50% of your customers, Mm -hmm. you're paying to acquire, and then that, they just go away. You just basically acquired them so that you could demo a bug to them. So now the people that get into the app business, though, they must know this, right? Or is it something they're not aware of that, no. that, that it requires this much um, phone purchasing in order to test? Yeah, I think everybody, uh, I think everyone's aware of it. Um, the, the challenge is in the early days, if the five of us decided to come up with a mobile app, and I'm sure... Um, at least Blake would have a great idea for a mobile app. I'm right. sure you guys probably have Just a great mobile app. How to make a good Halloween costume. Yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> nothing else, right? How to win. The, you, should, you should really put together an algorithm on that. Um, if you have something like that, we're probably going to spend our time building functionality. We're not going to, if somebody comes and says, this thing broke. I wonder if it works on a Razor. Yeah, exactly. I, wor- I wonder if it works on a Lenovo Yoga. You'd be like, I don't care, right? right? You would just go build the next piece of functionality. It's when it becomes critical to your business model. So you've got so many businesses today. We've got a lot of financial institutions, insurance companies that basically are going to mobile only, especially tablet, as they're putting bankers or lenders out in the field and making them do their job on a tablet. Right. If that tablet fails, and typically they're doing a, a BYOD, so bring your own tablet, um, if that tablet fails, they can't do their business. Uh, or if for some reason you think about Delta, Delta Airlines is a great example of someone. They are not a client of ours, but they spend millions of dollars a year making sure that app works. Um, you think about if you tried to book. Because that's my ticket now. That's your ticket now. That's your ticket. That's it's your customer phone. service. That's how you're going to book. That's how you're going to look right. for your next flight. It is critical to their business model. So um, you look at somebody like that, and then you look at somebody like JetBlue that doesn't spend as much money and, and is um, trying to figure uh, some of those things out, that would be a target for us. Are those folks that it's critical to their business model, but they can't afford to spend millions of dollars a year, but they can't afford to spend maybe $100,000. We can even come in as low as something like $20,000 a year. Or if you really just want to get access to our 350 phones, you can pay 10 cents a minute and get in as inexpensively as $50 a month. So then you can go in and 
check your app on all your phones. So yep. you're buying the phones. We buy the phones. We keep them racked up in a data center. We keep all the, the latest stuff. So we get the early release operating systems. We get the early release phones. Um, we've got to sign all those things that say we can't release them to the real world before everybody else. And then we rack them up in our data center. Um, and yep, and you get access to them. So then how does that work? So I have an app. So what do I, I go to your website? You go to kobiton.com, right? And you can get a free trial that'll be 120 minutes or 15 days, whichever one comes first. You'll, in that trial, you'll only get access to about 30 devices. Um, if you actually want to drop us an email or something or, or hit us on the website, we could expand that for you. But then you just load the app up on the phone. Um, and it's loading across all of the phones. It, one at a time, unless you automate it. Right now, if you automate it, we'll, you'll, you'll load it across as many phones as you possibly can. Um, and yeah, it loads up. And then um, we now have a, a system called a health check where you can perform one test on one phone. And then you asked us to put, you ask us, and we will perform that against a multitude of phones and give you the results back in a single report. And then how long does that take? Uh, it's usually about a 24 hour turnaround. Um, sometimes it can take a little bit longer if we, if we need some credentials, you know, logins, that kind of thing, but that's typically what it takes. So how's the sales and marketing on this working? Is it all inbound? You got people out there shaking the trees? Or? Yeah, it's about, so we've got about 25,000 people using the platform at any point in time, uh, in that, either in that trial process or buying the $50 a month. And then we've got just under 400 clients that are active enterprise paying clients. So you can use our website, uh, the, the portal on our website to access our 350 phones. Most of the organizations though are pretty serious about it. What they'll do is they'll actually use our SaaS platform and they'll drive their phones on site, especially those that have Bluetooth and camera and voice where they actually want to touch the phone themselves, but they want to record all the test data back onto our platform. And then that test data automatically triggers their developers to prioritize to say, hey, fix this bug. Here's what you need to see. Because it gives you full video and it gives you a step-by-step -step process of what the test was. Full video of the experience on the phone. Of the experience on wow. the phone. Yeah. How cool is that? It's pretty cool. Nobody would thought testing would be cool. Testing's <laughs> cool. Tell your friends. Now, um, when someone goes through this process, is it ever like, oh, it works perfectly on all of them? No, 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 <laughs> no. In fact, that little, so we've performed, uh, so uh, we've been in business about 18 months. So about four months ago, uh, we had organizations come to us and they said, look, I, um, I am just to the point that I want to start hiring full-time testers. Right now I've got my developers testing. Could you show me the results would look like if I had professional testers? So in the past three months, we've tested 800 apps. Uh, what we call our health check, which is just we put the app onto one phone, we run a typical exploratory test, which means we act like any regular user, and then we replicate that test against about 50 devices all at one time. It comes back and gives the results. Typically, what we see is between a 13 and a 20% crash rate, meaning 13 wow. to 20% of those phones are going to crash. Typically, that in the U.S., that's affecting somewhere between 7 and 12 million people in the United States that just aren't going to have a good experience on that app and are probably going to delete it. Now, when a, a company is making an app in their head, are they thinking the latest devices always and they're just discounting the fact that most people have older phones? Yeah, both. It, what, you, what you tend to get are uh, the developers that basically or folks that say, just use the phone that's in your pocket, right? You're going you're gonna to be our test I'm case. I'm the typical person. You're the typical the person. Early adopter who buys the latest and greatest. Whatever. Yeah, the problem is most developers are up to date, right? right. Most right. most folks aren't but, carrying But what's around. the ratio like in real life about phones? Yes. Yeah, like so, how many what's the, so the you, age of a typical phone in someone's pocket? Yeah, and it's getting older, right? So Is that true? Like yeah. they're not up 
Gate. People aren't. So in, in the uh, in the Apple world, for those that have Apple devices, you know, it kind of forces you to update. Right. In the Android world, um, there's no forced update. So I well, can. they stopped. Uh, what do they stop uh, updating the security or something after a few years? They just uh, don't require it so that the the handset maker, so Samsung, LG, whoever it may be, they get to choose when the update occurs. Mm -hmm. So uh, right now it's about 45,000 devices around the world or the, the kind of the permutation of operating systems and devices around the world today that are supported. <laughs> yeah. And then, but the age of a phone in someone's pocket, is it from this year, two years ago, three years That's ago? That's a good question. Um, you know, we... we tend to look at over a three-year period right? so anything over a th you're going to want to test something that's anything over a three-year period and there you're looking at tens of thousands of phones that you're going to have to keep up with right so there's no easy way to do this there's no easy way to, there's no easy way to do it the, the best way to do it is to we've got some algorithms that can help you understand what it is you need to cover if you want to cover most of your market if that's uh, enterprise mobility b2b b2c us western europe whatever it may be um, and then we'll help you identify those and help you do it at scale. But if you're doing something where your company is betting on the app as the kind of the consumer's view of your company, you got to go all in on this. This isn't something you dabble with. That's right? exactly right. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at the mobile elite again, you know, Facebook, um, Delta Airlines, uh, those guys, Uber. Um, they go all in. I mean, it's millions of dollars a year. It's, it's interesting. I was just listening to another podcast that, uh, you know, Mark Zuckerberg was famous for saying, go fast and break things. They now have a new slogan at Facebook, and I truly did not know this, um, that they just announced. It's go fast and don't upset the infrastructure, <laughs> which I thought was interesting because he's, he's like, we got, we, it's too hard if you mess up the infrastructure. And the point being right. is if, if you mess up the base stuff, right, the, the ripple effect throughout the rest of the organization is really hard. And that's when an app becomes critical to your business, you know, one little thing rippled across 45,000 different permutations of hardware and software takes a long time to fix. And there's a lot of customer service. And I mean, you can see we monitor the app store ratings for apps, um, how many downloads there are, if there's comments about crashes and bugs. Um, and it only takes a couple of weeks of some bugs being out there and people will go from four and a half stars to three and a half stars with a lot of bad comments. And there's a lot of people that won't download that app because of that. Now, what are the stats on app downloads? Like, is it, what's the range of downloads on the typical app? Yeah, so um, it varies. It varies really widely. I mean, we're, the, for organizations that are serious, they've typically got more than 10,000 downloads. Um, 100,000 downloads plus is pretty common for... But that's man. a target for you? That's, a target, that's a target for us, yeah. So of the, you know, last year ended about f right at 4.5 million total apps in the App Store, the Google Play Store, and the Apple App Store. Um, of those, there's probably about 50,000 that are... Um, 100,000 or more? that are 100,000 or more and really serious about it is right. critical to their business model. There, there's a lot of apps that are out there that are just kind of old, uh, abandoned apps. But it's, um, it's a $50, 000, $50 billion market, the amount of money that's spent on building mobile apps around the world today. Uh, and it's growing at about a 15 to 20% clip. So what we're finding is more and more are becoming critical to folks' business models. And then if they are um, selling 100,000 apps, uh, then this isn't something they should be doing is being serious and testing in all different at uh, least yeah i mean devices, they have to, right? yeah if, if it's critical we tell we tell folks if it's critical to your revenue stream or it's criti critical to your support structure um 
if you had 25% abandonment, then whatever your acquisition cost is, is inflated by that much. So now, um, how did you come about the ATDC? Um, uh, I can't, so this is my fourth time as a CEO here in Atlanta. Um, you just can't keep a job. I can't. <laughs> it's very hard. This, the startup thing's hard. Um, yeah. So we, no new folks in the industry. We, um, were started by an incubator called KMS technology. The same guys that started were you always in the app business. No, no. Been, uh, primarily FinTech payments, those kinds of things before, but huh. FinTech and payments is becoming SaaS. Right. And so yeah. I decided to, to jump into the SaaS market, but, uh, our accelerator KMS technology are the same guys that started a company here in town called QA Symphony mm-hmm. that's done well in the testing space, as well as another one in our uh, Asian uh, office in Saigon called Catalan that's also got about 30,000 users in the testing space as well. So they had known the folks at ATDC, and it was a, it's a great opportunity here. So now how has it been for you to go through it? It's great. We don't uh, we don't office here, but it's uh, I come down here at least every week for the CEO, uh, the signature company CEO lunch. Um, it's a great environment to have conversations and bounce things off of other CEOs. It's a part therapy session. You know, you think you're having a bad week and then somebody tells you about their business. You're like, wow, I'm very fortunate. Um, but other times you can rule the week. Uh, it's it's a high collision environment is what folks call it here. And, right. and I would Do you find that to be true? Yeah, completely. I mean, uh, I, I can walk around here and just and run into folks on a pretty regular basis and you remember that they know something that you need to know something about yeah. or they can introduce you to the right folks. So it's great. And then have you seen that actually happen where you've met somebody or you saw somebody doing something that affected the actual business? Yeah, no doubt. Um, in those in those lunches had situations where folks brought up ideas and they sat this. Um, and, you know, you, don't, you think about it for a couple of minutes, you're like, wait a minute, I, I think I can help that guy out and been able to introduce him to advisors or board members. Um, in other situations when uh, we were in the, the midst of closing our latest uh, fundraising got down to a critical uh, negotiating point and you know all the market data tells you you're right and then their market data tells them they're, they're right, right you know right. so you're like where do you go and and talk to a couple of guys and they didn't really tell me what was right or wrong they said here's some alternatives that we did in negotiating that point that makes both sides feel good about the situation and that's basically the tactic i used right and that i mean that saves everybody time and heartache yeah it's great and then uh, for you, what do you need more of right now? Just more companies using the service? Yeah, it's for, for us, we are, um, it's all about sales and marketing at this point in time. So um, we're, we're at that point now where usage on the platform is growing at about, you know, 30 to 40% a month. So, wow. uh, yeah, so we're hitting our stride, which is great. It is uh, just making people aware. Historically, uh, testing, I don't know that you know this or not, but testing's not sexy. Um, <laughs> so I, I know. So, uh, so out in the, in the market, when you talk about mobile app testing, typically what you get is a, we're not ready to spend money on that because that's a very expensive like they proposition. See it as a nice to have, not a must it's a, have. It's a nice to have. Right. And typically a lot of times is because they perceive it to be very expensive. Our competitors again, start at that $250,000 range and up, right. whereas we can start as low as 50 bucks a month. So a lot of it is just getting in front of the right people once they experience the platform and they see what it can do for them it's a it's a relatively but don't they i would imagine that even at the lowest price they're going to see they're positive just by going through the activity of doing that that's right 
Yep. And then it's getting the organization to buy into it, right? That's right. that's where it, most of our sales guys spend their time is uh, the testers are all about it, and then the testers have to go up the, the food And they chain. don't have the juice to make the decision, the testers, typically? Um, they've got to make it fit into the rest of the of the, the dev world, right? So uh, all this shift left and DevOps and CICD, we integrate into all of those things. So we typically have to go through, in the larger organizations, some type of proof of concept to demonstrate that we can hang with, with the big things that they're using. Mm-hmm. Now, the stuff that, that you find... I mean, these are fixable things, right? Oh, all of them. And yeah. so, I mean, they would all just slap themselves if they if they missed out on fixing something simple that could be really a lot Costing of money. Costing them money. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's why we, right? we, we tell folks... Come to the come to the website. Request a, what we call the app he- health check. That health check thing. Yeah, if do you don't do check. anything else, at least yeah. do that, right? It's great. Yeah, and the 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 first health check we do for you for free. You, and again, on all of those devices, you get all the video, all the logs, everything to see everything that's going on. It's eye opening. It's pretty cool. And what's been yeah. the most dramatic kind of uh, different, like percentage of stuff that they had to fix? Like, do you have a kind of a best case? Um, you know, it, it depends. It's kind of all over the board, the complexity of the app and all right. those kinds of things. But um, there's no doubt that we can get in with with them and very quickly identify things that will um, reduce their abandonment rate or make their app much more scalable. We had one organization that, that used uh, a map locator. So it was a, a, a geolocation service. And what they didn't appreciate was on the new Google phones, when you said, find my location, it was very flaky. So on the Apple uh, phones, it worked solid, rock solid. But when you move that over to, to some of the newer Google phones, it was pretty flaky. It was slow to the point that it would take six to seven seconds to find my location, or it would just bomb out altogether. And so you had a lot of users that uh, when you go to the app store, you would see the comments and they would recognize that that problem, we were able to pinpoint and say, here it is in the code. Here's the video that shows how it works. And here's those seven phones that are giving you the greatest problem that are impacting the greatest market share. And so they can change it there and then it would impact those ratings instantaneously. Exactly. Yeah. And they can go back to the, obviously you can, as a company, you can comment back on the app store saying, we found the problem, we fixed it. Here you go. And if somebody wants to learn more, where should they go? Kobiton.com, K-O-B-I-T-O-N.com, and sign up for a free trial or give us your app, and we'll do a health check on it. And especially apps that have over 100,000 downloads. This any any size. We'll do anything. Any size, but any, those are the ones that you have the th- Those impact. are the ones that we're going to have a big impact on your business model. Yeah, we're going to positively impact your business model for sure. All right, and what are you going to be for Halloween? I'm, I, you know, I'm kind of concerned right now. Pikachu yeah, yeah, or a hot dog? Yeah. Uh, I don't feel like it's going to win the contest with Blake. So I don't know. I'm going to think it through. Going to have to step up your game. Well, thank you so much for coming to thank visit you. with us. Hey, stay with us. We got one more guest we're going to visit with. Yeah. All right. Next up with Blink Sky is Steve Youngblood. How you doing, man? Hey, doing well. How about yourself? Doing. It's good to hear your voice back on a Business Radio X microphone. Good to see you down here at the ATDC. What's What's going on in your world, man? What, what are you up to with Blink Sky? Oh, Blink Sky is a digital gifting platform. Uh, we've built it both for businesses and for consumers. And so we're all out here promoting gifting happiness. That's our tagline, gift happiness. So how's it work? Well, so have you guys been in the grocery store recently and seen the end caps with these? Sure. They're fantastic, aren't they? We send them to our nieces, our nephews, our moms, our dads. Uh, I'm from Florida, so I've been in Georgia for 30 years, so I have to remind myself, oops, mom's birthday. It's not enough. I can't take her to dinner, so I might as well send her dinner. 
but uh, there's got to be a better way because these can be lost. They're left in drawers. I know because my kids are 27 and 22. We're cleaning out the rooms, and my gosh, I just got mm-hmm. some free iTunes cards. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's got to be a better way. Plus, people crave instantaneousness nowadays. I just don't want to say happy birthday. I want to say it and know you've gotten it and see the text message back that makes me feel good about making you feel good. And so that's what, what Blink Sky is all about, and not just for me sending to you. But it's also businesses nowadays. Uh, they reward their employees, they reward their customers, and they reward their partners. Um, if you've ever uh, been inside of a call center and you see everybody looking up the leaderboard, they're trying to figure out who's getting that Amazon card at the end of the week. And so, uh, and they want that now. And there's a real problem with keeping plastic around. It can easily disappear. And, you know, so there's lots of problems with theft, with digital gift cards, with digital rewards. It's much easier uh, to make that happen. And plus, you can do it in bulk. So we not only provide a mobile application, it's good to hear about Cobitron's activities. I think we'll be having a visit here very soon. But we also have an, a consumer application that lets not only persons send a, a very very valuable brand from, uh, from Best Buy to Panera Bread, uh, Amazon, Uber, heard Uber recently. We also allow people to send something we call a blinkable, which is really a sentiment, a thank you, a hello, miss you, great job. These are things that companies for a long time have been trying to figure out. How do I get people to pay attention to me? How do I really thank them and build greater uh, links between us? And so they give gifts. Uh, Recently, I experienced this when I test drove a car, and they said, we'll give you a $40 gift card. I've still not seen it, and that was about six months ago. Uh I'm not sure I'll be buying that car. But but no, the whole idea is to, to help companies. For example, automobile dealers are great at giving gifts, but so are insurance companies. If you go to see your financial advisor, they want to send you a a thank you on your birthday. So we're providing the tools that help people uh, gift quickly, easily, and securely. So then how would it work for that uh, insurance agent that's out there and wants to give gifts maybe on birthdays? So so they contact Blink Sky and they say, I want to work with, I have 500 clients. So good question. So an app like we have on Android or or iOS, it's going to be a little too slow to do it one at a time. So we do provide a complete dashboard that lets the uh, the insurance dealer or the financial representative send to many people at a time, even schedule them so they can go out at the right time with the right sentiment going along and picking the right gift. Even more so, when someone sends you a, a gift card and maybe, maybe you don't like to buy at uh, Best Buy, maybe you'd much prefer to take someone out to eat, but today that's all you have, right? we let you exchange those cards. So the person who gets the gift that's from a restaurant, say maybe it's a customer, they can now say, you know what, instead of that restaurant, I'd like to go to this one. And just like that, you're So take- I can take my digital gift card, go to Blink Sky, and buy something different with that same value. Exactly right. You receive it online wow. in a text message. Very cool. You can immediately go exchange it, look through the list that I just showed you here. We have, in the U.S. alone, 400 retailers. And we have a, almost 100 in the U.K. and a growing number, I think maybe 30 or 40 in Canada. So we've got uh, – that takes a lot of time to integrate all of those retail POS systems and back ends. All right. So let me walk this through. So at Business Radio X, <clears throat> we have people who underwrite shows. Uh, but, we'll, okay, here's a good group, uh, export sources. We have, we have a group of people who we regard as expert sources. Right. And um, I don't – we probably have them in a couple of different ways, but I bet we have a spreadsheet of them somewhere. That's right. And so could I load them up and send them all 
five dollar I don't know coffee or something. It's, Absolutely. And I could do it, but I could do it electronically, digitally, and space out how it was delivered. Exactly right. As opposed to putting them in envelopes and sending out these physical cards, and then if they didn't want the coffee, they could trade it for a sandwich or whatever. Exactly. And you have record of what you sent versus going and buying those plastic cards on the end caps at the store right. and putting them in a drawer. Now you can show for uh, accounting purposes what you bought, who it was right. for, and keep track of that. Keep track of your spend. Can I keep track of them um, redeeming it? Yes, you can as well, too. We'll know when the customer has redeemed the card. Uh, we might not know. Take that back. We'll know when they've activated the card. We may not know what their spend is because at that point, then they're actually doing business with the back-end retailer. Right. So we may not know how much they've actually spent, but we will know when they've activated it. There's an action that they take to activate it. That's correct. For example, if I sent you a Best Buy card and you decided, you know, I really would like to just take that to Amazon and get something else online, Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll know that. That actually helps you understand what your customer's like. Absolutely. But yeah. it also helps us keep track of maybe perhaps how we can better market in the future. Well, you better hope your app works well. You need to get it health checked. Cause <laughs> well, <laughs> that's already noted in, noted right now. Actually, for other applications. Actually, though. this whole thing is actually brought to you by Kobe Time. The whole Thank day you. has been sponsored. <laughs> you know what's excited, though? There's, a, there's another angle to our business. So the business world is fantastic because they're now thinking what they've got to do a better job to more quickly – entice and uh, thank their employees and their customers and their partners. There's also an international angle to this. So today, uh, uh, you know, remittances are huge. You notice here in Atlanta, we have a lot of people that come from various parts of the world, India, Philippines, all over, Caribbean. Sure. So uh, we've partnered with a company down in the Caribbean, one of the biggest mobile providers, Digicel. And Digicel is rolling out our service throughout the Caribbean to allow not only gifting within the Caribbean in multiple currencies, but as well to allow people here in the U.S. who have friends and family back home to give that way. So say, for example, you're Jamaican, you're here, you'd like to send something back home. You can pull up and you can either send it in Jamaican dollars to begin with or send it to us, in, uh, send it as U.S. dollars. We'll convert it to, to Jamaican dollars and deliver it to someone in the Caribbean. So, so now these digital gifts can be given in any currency? That's correct. And what's great about that is many people here that are sending back home want to know that they're directing their spend, and now they can. Sure. So if they'd like to send home groceries or they'd like to send home uh, the ability to buy electronics or home goods, they, that's, that's a quicker way and a, more, uh, a better feeling knowing you're helping the people back home in a way they should be, plus the costs are far lesser than what you'd find at Western Union or MoneyGram. So now talk about ATDC. How um, have they helped you on this journey? They've been fantastic. Uh, We're part of the FinTech group here. Uh, Our team here at ATDC helped us be on the floor at Mercedes-Benz Stadium during FinTech South, where you guys were were broadcasting. Yeah, right. For us, that was a huge opportunity to now uh, talk with people in our industry, talk with potential customers and partners. Uh, First Data, which is one of the biggest credit card processors in the world, if not the biggest, uh, also gave us a chance to speak with them. We work with them already. Uh, so it was a great chance for a small company out of Alpharetta yeah. to now be on a, on a world stage in fintech. So walk me through the sales and marketing. So you don't necessarily have to sell the insurance guy a dis- discreet product or service on a Thursday afternoon. You just need the insurance person educated about your process and tapped into your process, right? 
That's correct. Or, yeah, yeah, walk us through that. So there's, there's two different types of people we want to educate and bring in that don't necessarily have to hand us money right away. It could be the insurance guy, the business person who would like to digitally gift out to their customers. We need to make sure they know there's a place they can get an account and buy that inventory and send it at the same time. There's also developers. You have developers who might want to come in and say, hey, I work for another retailer. I'm Publix, and I have my, I have my solid end caps with the gift cards <clears throat> with these. Now I'd like right. to have the digital end caps. So when people come to Publix.com or Kroger.com or whatever the grocer might be or the retailer might be, they too can create um, a JavaScript widget that sits on their website and allows customers to buy gift cards instantaneously, thinking they're doing it through their retailer, but in fact we're acting on the retailer's behalf, and we're partnered with that retailer, allowing them to also participate in the revenue flow. So you must be on a real educate awareness kind of mission. I mean, that's what your job is now day, every day, right? We're selling out to the businesses that right. want to sign up, getting them to sign up and get used to digital gifting. It's different. This is a this is a different mindset. The plastic's been great, right? We all carry right. it. But going digital is different. You have to remember, uh, go to my dashboard, get these queued up, get them ready to go. So it's a different mindset. And for the developers, they need to know there's a way to enhance their retail experience, the retail sites that they have, and provide another thing to purchase when you're walking through the aisle. Now, as part of the digital experience, is it something that if I haven't redeemed or activated in a period of time, are you pinging me to remind me that I even have this? Because just like a card could be lost in a drawer or something, a digital gift could be lost in a you know a text stream or an email stream. Absolutely. Well, today we do have a wallet on the website, and our next release coming out on our mobile product will also have the wallet there so that you'll see that it's there. Now, uh, we are working on activities and, and development right now to add in all of the, the reminders for you to redeem. By the way, redeemers are also buyers. So every person that receives ah, a gift. Right. So imagine a business sends to a consumer, and the consumer goes, wow, that was so easy. That was cool. Just like right. the Staples Easy that. button. You want to tap it right away and say, that was really simple. Now those consumers say, well, my gosh, I need to send something to my niece. It's her birthday. Or she's just graduated from school. We also are having to follow the cycles in retail for, for gift cards. Christmas time, Thanksgiving to Christmas is huge. But birthdays are huge too, and they, they, are, they, are, they span out throughout the year. Sure. Uh, so we, we need to follow cycles in retail. We also need to note that there are other opportunities in business which are more regular. So what can Blake do to help you other than give you advice on Halloween costumes? I, th I think what you should do is make sure – well, first of all, he can help me test my apps. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, so, so Kevin can help you test your apps. We got that Bla set up. Oh, yeah, Kevin can do that. All right. But, but I'm not sure we should – I don't know, maybe a clinical trial? We'll find out if people <laughs> – Every time they go through a trial, that he right. gives them a it, gift it, card to Starbucks card. or exactly. something. If they, or, and then if they send a gift card after, we know that they're, they're in good health because there they're thinking go. right. Um, no, it's interesting. You, you mentioned uh, people do get paid, right? They'll get a $25 or $50 or some kinds. People also take um, surveys. And they right, get paid. Right. Yep. So another, we are also looking at all of those models where our incentives could not only be done by a person with a dashboard, but programmatically. We have a complete set of APIs so that an, an application, maybe it's salesforce.com. Salesforce.com, we tell the sales reps you have to make 100 calls this week. When you reach the 100th call, that's the, that sends a message then to us that says, here's your $25 uh, Amazon card. Right. So we've built all those mechanisms and currently do have customers using us both uh, manually, using our dashboard, 
but as well using us programmatically, being able to have an application uh, trigger the send of digital gift cards. Good stuff. So if somebody wants to learn more, website for you guys? There's uh, our primary website for folks that are interested on the business side would be blinksky.com. That's B-L-I-N-K-S-K-Y.com. If you just add a slash gift to that, that'll take you where you to the website of our consumer gifting business where you can see the icon on the lower right-hand corner. Click it. Bring up the list of gift cards that are available. You can also change countries. Perhaps you want to send to someone in the UK or uh, in Canada and in the, or in the Caribbean. You can also then change your country and send to someone in those countries. Good stuff, Steve. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Thanks so much. All right. This is Lee Cantor for Stone Payton. We will see you all next time on ATDC Radio. Mm-hmm.